Hello, and welcome to Short Takes on Tech, the podcast that brings you quick insights into the latest innovations in the produce and floral industry. I'm your host, Vani Estes, the VP of Innovation at the International Fresh Produce Association. We're thrilled to kick off a special season recorded live at the Global Produce and Floral Show in Anaheim last October. Picture this, the vibrant atmosphere of the trade show, the podcast booth located right by registration, and the unmistakable buzz of excitement from industry professionals. It was an incredible experience, and we've captured the essence of it in this season. Throughout the upcoming episodes, we'll be sharing two to four interviews in each episode featuring discussion with experts from new companies and pioneers in cutting-edge technologies within the industry. These bite-sized conversations are designed to give you quick glimpses into the companies solving our biggest problems in the produce and floral industry. Feel free to skip around and explore the topics that pique your interest. Each interview is approximately 10 minutes long, making it easy for you to stay informed in the midst of your busy schedule. So whether you're a seasoned professional in the field or just curious about the latest developments, we've got something for everyone in this season. Thank you for joining us on Short Takes on Tech. Let's dive into the world of innovation and discovery together. Stay tuned for insights that could shape the future of the produce and floral industry. Hello, and welcome to Short Takes on Tech from The Global Show. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Innovation from the International Fresh Produce Association. In this episode, we are highlighting exciting and interesting companies with products and services providing solutions in the fresh produce industry. We have two insightful guests joining us today. We have Jeff Butler, the general manager of Silo Capital. Silo is an all-in-one platform that empowers buyers, growers, and shippers to automate their operations, react to market trends in real time, and run their businesses more efficiently. First up, we have Andy Kennedy, co-founder of New Era Partners. Andy has had a distinguished career in traceability, both with the FDA and now with his new company. New Era Partners is a technology-neutral advisory service in the food industry that helps companies achieve, maintain, and benefit from improved food traceability procedures and systems that comply with the FDA FSMA 204 food traceability rule. He has been living FSMA 204. Let's jump right into our conversation with Andy as he shares his unique perspective on working with data, transitioning from the FDA to the private sector, and the challenges and opportunities in the world of traceability. Being at FDA, the opportunity was, you know, they're the consumers of that traceability data. So I got to see it from the other side. Huh. When we did outbreak investigations, I, I got to see the data that came in from industry. So all that data I worked to collect and, and share, it was amazing to see that come in from uh, industry. What surprised you about that? Was it messy? Was it what you expected? Or So I think what surprised me about it when I first got there was that FDA would continue to ask for POs and invoices. And I said, you know, everyone can produce a spreadsheet, you know, with the data organized a little bit better than what, you know, so you don't have to retype all this data. So, so we started asking for more information and all this information came in. So they were surprised at, at the capability that the industry had in terms of producing electronic information. So that was a really kind of mutual oh, discovery. Huh. You know, they didn't have to do so much work, you know, asking for that information in electronic sortable spreadsheet. 
which, you know, that's why that's part of the FISMA 204 traceability rule. Rather than asking for, like, paper records and bills of lading and things like that, you know, moving towards a digitized supply chain future where that information can be sent in electronically and cutting down the work at the FDA side, which means they can look at more outbreak investigations with fewer people. So, huh. so it increases their capacity because really that's the biggest constraint right now because you have teams of people re-entering that information and trying to figure it out. But if it comes in clean and organized from industry, they can actually do more. Oh, that's interesting. So is the, the industry becoming, they're becoming more able to do that? And, and is the FDA telling them, like, use this software or give it to us in this form? Or can they dictate that? So the way FISMA 204 is set up, they can't require a specific technology. However, they do require an electronic sortable spreadsheet, which is kind of left open to interpretation to a certain extent. So what we've done is the PTI working group, we've come up with templates that are going to be posted on the PTI website to get people started mm. as kind of a common format. And then FDA internally has been working on the product tracing system, which they required also to do under FISMA 204, subsection D, where they had to implement something internally to receive that data. So they're going to push out guidance in the next couple of years with recommended data formats. So I think they're going to learn from what we're doing at PTI. We're going to learn from what they're doing you know, from their internal systems. So it's really a collaboration between industry and, and the FDA. Wow, that's great. So how have you seen the industry move as far as uptake of data and technology and, and how people are collecting data and, and what decisions they're making off of it? Do you see people, is that going quicker than it was or how's that working? Yeah, I, th I think FISMA 204, what was great about coming up with the critical tracking events and key data elements for FISMA 204 is it gave license to people to create that infrastructure for sharing data, but it also what was important is told people what not to do. So that's been a big problem with traceability because when there was no input from FDA in terms of what information should be shared, it was kind of left up to everyone to kind of do their own thing. So in some cases, people did way more than they needed to. And it was a huge headache. It was a huge headache. So by having like a defined list uh, that everyone has the same information, what it's done is created more competition among the solution providers because now it's all, it's all the same information. It's got to be interconnected. So it's got to be interoperable and compatible. But that means solutions can't differentiate based on which key data elements they have. Now it's do they provide the best service, the, you know, the, the most efficient technology, the best price for their technology. So it's changed the landscape. So instead of stovepipe solutions that goes supply chain by supply chain, it's got to work across the entire supply chain. So that's really created a lot more ideas and, and interoperability and discussions between solution providers trying to connect systems. And, and I think that's a benefit to the industry because now you can share other types of data like cold chain data, your freshness data, because that infrastructure of interoperability is being built. So there's potential in the future to share a lot more information than is being shared today. Huh. So that's moving all the way down the supply chain. And how are people, you know, for a while, all we heard was just complaints about, I'm not giving up my data, and who has my data, and that, that's gotten kind of quiet. So yeah. how, how are people accepting the fact that you know, their data goes into a system that gets shared? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And one of the things in developing the rule that we took into account and, and uh, some of the feedback from industry was we don't want to share uh, proprietary information mm. uh, all the way down the supply chain. So, so a concept was created, the traceability lot code source reference. So providing a reference to where something was grown or packed uh. that would be accessible by FDA, but not share that information with your trading partners. And a lot of traceability solutions that have been developed over the years touted showing every point in the supply chain to consumers. You know, scan a QR code, see every point in the supply chain. That went over like a lead balloon yeah, for I most bet. people. Yeah, <laughs> the last thing people want, you know, consumers showing up at their, you know, packing house saying, yeah. hey, I bought this. And, <laughs> There's uh, a spot on yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so I think, you know, shielding information, you know, fr in, in a selective way, but making the information available when you need it for an outbreak investigation. When something happens, having that information at the fingertips of FDA, but not necessarily shared across supply chain partners. That was kind of how we modified the, the rule to make sure that we respected data privacy and we didn't have oversharing across the supply chain. These systems that are getting set up and just digitizing you know, the, the industry in this way, when you look out a couple of years, five years, what other benefits can you see outside of FISMO, which is important, but you know, out, right. what other benefits can you see to the industry for to this digitization? Yeah, so uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I happened to be at FDA during COVID. So we experienced kind of the meltdown of the food supply chain during COVID when restaurants shut down. So they stopped ordering food. Right. So there was all that excess food built up in the food service supply chain. And retailers had empty shelves because people were you know, stocking up and they were worried, you know, they were afraid to go to the store. They wanted as much uh, food as possible. So it created short-term outages of food. So you had one channel with too much and another channel with not enough. And the supply chains were incredibly rigid. So it was hard to switch suppliers. It was hard to ship products from one, you know, commodity group, you know, for uh, food service. Like, for example, onions. Yeah, I was going to say, all those onions. Those giant onions, <laughs> yeah. they make food service. Yeah, they slice for hamburgers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and consumers are like, what am I going to do with an onion this big? Yeah. You know? So trying to rewire the supply chain dynamically, building in supply chain resilience. And we saw you know, prices went up because of kinks in the supply chain. So what I'm seeing is with a digital supply chain and information sharing, you can rewire your supply chain quicker in response to, you know, supply chain disruptions that may be, you know, weather related. It could be, you know, all kinds of things are happening in the world today. You know, war in Ukraine disrupted food supply chain mm -hmm. for a lot of people. So rewiring supply chains is the new normal. So I think having things digitized, it makes it easier to resource or reroute or, or, or you know, re redirect food that's in the supply chain. It just needs to find a new way to get to, uh, to the consumer. So I think that's, that's going to be really a benefit to the food supply chain in the future. Excellent. Well, you've been on stage, I think this is the third time you've spoken since you've been here, right? <laughs> so we really appreciate your expertise. What are you hoping to get out of the show besides imparting your knowledge? Well, so again, being at FDA during, during COVID, I didn't get a chance to go anywhere. Like we were, we were on uh, ground hold for three years. So, so it, it's great reconnecting with everybody. And, 
And after doing uh, two years on the board of PMA, I really, it's, it's been great reconnecting oh, with a good. lot of old friends. Yeah. Great. That's well, great to have you here. And thank you very much for this conversation. Thanks. Great. Thank you. I'm Bonnie Estes, your host for Fresh Takes on Tech, and we're live at the show in Anaheim doing these short conversations, short takes on tech, talking to amazing companies and amazing people, and just finding out within 10 minutes what they're up to, what they think of the show, and it's just been a great opportunity to hear what's going on and the type of people who are at the show and, and get just a pulse on technology. So I will hand it over to you to explain uh, your company and introduce yourself. Awesome. Well, my name is Jeff Butler. I work for Silo Technologies, and we're, we're here at the show. We were here last year as our, our, our first year, oh. um, which was awesome. And really at Silo, we are at our core. We're a, we're a software company that's focused specifically on fresh produce. And so our, our two co-founders started in this business by you know, getting a van and running produce delivery out of the San Francisco terminal. Just to get into this space and really understand it from from the ground up. How long ago was that? When um, they six years ago. Six, okay. Yeah, and so from that came the you know the realization of where some of the needs were in the industry, and so from that we started building inventory management systems uh, in our software, and then we've started you know from that we expanded to accounting to payments. Now we offer capital services, so we offer. Uh, funding through you know through working capital, we're continuing to build out freight and other things to really provide a more holistic set of tools to help businesses in produce work efficiently and really accomplish the goals that they have. That's exciting. So, who explain your kind of typical customer? Who what the sweet spot of your customer base is? Yeah. So initially, we kind of started with regional distributors. And we, you know, we worked, operated out of a lot of the produce terminals in the major uh, metropolitan hubs. But through that and through networking with those, with those customers, we expanded out to, to shippers and now even grower shippers. And so we're really touching from the top of the supply chain all the way down until it lands in the hands of the end retailer or, uh, or consumer. So, so, so kind of our sweet spot's right there in the middle of the supply chain, but we're finding ways to, to touch both ends of that as well. So who would actually pay for your product and services? Because you go, you kind of go both directions. And so right. who actually pays for it? And then how do they collaborate and work with other parts of the supply chain? Yeah. So if you are, if you're a shipper and you're moving product either to large retailers or to local distributors, you might use our software to do all your inventory management, manage your, your purchasing from the grower, your selling to your, your clients uh, downstream. Um, that'll handle all your accounting uh, and, and all your payments. Uh, you might also get funding from Silo as well to kind of bridge that working capital gap that everyone experiences when you have payment terms with your suppliers that are usually you know shorter than your payment terms uh, with you know with your clients. And so and so through that they might you know they might participate in our software. They might leverage our payments products, and they might also get funding uh, the same way. And that can be extended down towards you know, distributors who are utilizing it for similar purposes and all the way up to growers where we have growers who are you know, struggling to kind of you know, bridge that three, six, nine month gap in their programs, depending on the, the, the product that they're growing, where there's all these costs that come into place before they actually start seeing the sales revenue, revenue come, yeah. come back through. And so unlike you know, maybe more traditional lenders like 
we've approached this as saying, hey, we have expertise in this space. Let's actually build from our customers backwards. And if we end up with something that looks similar to what's it's already available in industry, fine. And if not, even better, right? Because at least we know it's, it's really made a purpose built for the, intent, the intended use of, of that capital. And so uh, we have you know, a cash advance program that provides incremental working capital to help people finance new, uh, new vendor or supplier relationships, getting into different products. Uh, we have another product that is you know, funded through your AR and allows you to kind of like take that 30-day you know, accounts receivable, like days receivable outstanding, and shrink that down to just like two or three days. So you have control of where, you know, you're holding your cash more often and you have control when you you disperse that to your vendors. So, you know, lots of different ways in which, you know, we're helping suppliers and, and, uh, and buyers of produce alike. That's fascinating. I'm not as aware of of this area. So that's very (laughs) cool. So as, do you think the company will end up being more of a funding company and less of a software company or where do you see yourself going? Or you just seeing like what works for customers? Yeah. I think you know starting in software and then eventually kind of adding on these additional services has really opened our eyes to how you know some of these fundamental things like access to real-time data, being involved in the funds flow, really positions us well to provide yeah. additional services. So right now we're investing in um, you know bringing a freight offering to market where you don't have to you know spend all your time in our software but then go out and go somewhere else to schedule your freight. Like you can do that in our service, right? And I think over time, we should expect us to see opportunities to just expand across the board. And so, you know, the financial services, the fintech part of our business will just be one of many different facets. Um, but we're purposefully br- building this in a way that allows people to come in and just participate where there's a need. Uh-huh. There's no need to do everything uh-huh. uh, unless you want to. And so each of our kind of uh, product lines or business lines can be done on a standalone basis. But once we do find that once you start, you know, using one service, you see, oh, and this would be so great to just bolt onto that. Yeah, and it fits. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's connected. Exactly. So how do you do sales? Yeah, so we have a sales force that's distributed across the United States, really primarily in some of these, uh, you know, larger produce shipping and receiving hubs. And so we're networking, we're at, you know, we're at places like, like IFBA. We're also finding that, you know, the interactions we have with our own customers um, yield a lot of you know, new leads for us and new opportunities to engage with others because people find that as, as they work with Silo, it's advantageous for them to have their vendors and their clients also work with Silo because of how cohesive everything ends up working for them. Um, and so you know, network referrals and stuff work really well for us as well. We haven't yet really done a lot of like strictly digital or like web-based you know, marketing and sales activity just because we understand that the industry is so tightly knit from a relationship standpoint and that those relations are really what drive, you know, growth and interaction in the industry. And so, you know, we truly believe we want to meet our customers, our users, where they are. And if where they are is making phone calls and doing site visits and, you know, talking to people face to face, because that's how they interact with their customers. And then that's exactly what we're going to do. And did you take outside funding, or were you be able were you able to grow organically? Or yeah, we are a venture backed company. Uh, we're based in San Francisco, but like our customers, we're distributed all over the United States as well. And so most of us work remote, um, and then have opportunities to travel and, and meet our customers where they are. How many people are in total now? Uh, we're a little over eighty. 
That's awesome. Yeah, and, uh, and, and continue to grow. Yeah. So. so what do you expect to get out of the show? Having been to the show once before last year, you know, knowing just how, how massive it is <laughs> and how exciting and sometimes like overwhelming it can be, coming here with just you know, a, like a, a blank slate in terms of preconceived notions about like what, what has to get done and things like that and really kind of opening, uh, for me, it's, it's an opportunity to open you know, channels of communication that are really hard to get otherwise. And so you know, planting a bunch of seeds saying, hey, we're gonna be at the show, you know, we have some of our, like some of our best customers that said, I, I wasn't going to come, but I wanted to come to, to talk with you and to meet well, with you. Well, thanks for that. Uh, so, so it's great <laughs> yeah. for us because like, yeah. even yeah. just seeing like a, from a year ago, right, where most of our action was like very much outward, like, hey, come, come see our booth, you know, come talk to us. Whereas this year, it's like, we're having a lot of people come by or, you know, text us and say, hey, are you at the show? Like, I want to come see you guys. And so for us, like, there, you really can't replace the face-to-face interaction and like the touch and feel of seeing people's products, seeing their hard work, especially being you know largely remote yeah. in in our uh, in our way of business. Like you know, these are irreplaceable opportunities for us. So absolutely love it. Well, it's really exciting. I really love hearing a new kind of business, and I love the way that you've approached it. And you you had mentioned before we started talking that you worked at Amazon before. So, yeah. what drew you to this? I bet you left Amazon going, "Oh, I want to work in produce." Like, did that did that happen? <laughs> that did not happen, actually. <laughs> Funny enough, but um, but no. So, and, and that's actually an interesting part of my experience at Amazon. I mean, I worked in cloud computing. I worked in you know e-commerce marketplace style businesses, fintech. I worked in prime video, so digital video streaming. Like these are completely different industries, yeah. right? So I think part of my DNA now is like being really curious and, and willing and open to like learn new industries. And so when I started talking to Ashton, one of our founders, um, this was like six months before I even joined the Silo. All the necessary ingredients to do something really special uh, were in place. And it was just something I couldn't get out of my mind. It was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense for me right now, but we should keep talking. You yeah, know? Yeah. And so at that point, I'd been at Amazon for 10 years and had taken just a ton of awesome learnings from that experience. but was really ready to kind of like, you know, turn a page and take the best of what I had gained and, and kind of, you know, implant that into a young organization that could, uh, you know, can help form and and I think the DNA of Silo before I ever arrived on the scene was very similar to kind of how I operate. And so the match there was really nice. Um, and, and yeah, and since then, like, we've been able to grow and do things that uh, I'm frankly surprised we've been able to do as fast as we have. So it's been really great. That's exciting. I mean, our, our industry, as we know and as we all love, there are many, like, fourth-generation companies. And uh, it's really great to have that history. But... It's very exciting to see people like you coming from a strong background like you have and bringing those learnings to help us solve some of our problems. So thank you and thanks to your company and thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. I'm thrilled. And that's a wrap for this episode of Short Takes on Tech, recorded live at the Global Produce and Floral Show in Anaheim. We hope you enjoyed these brief but insightful glimpses into the world of innovation shaping our industry. As we close this episode, we invite you to mark your calendars and make plans to attend the 2024 show in Atlanta. It's sure to be another fantastic opportunity to connect with industry leaders, discover groundbreaking technologies, and stay at the forefront of what's happening in produce and floral. 
Cheers to the exciting future ahead. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to bringing you more short takes on tech in the episodes to come. Until next time, stay curious and stay innovative.